Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. And good morning, Grace. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. That key change coming out of the the verse there, out of the chorus, I love that. That brings me joy. Um, But what brings me more joy than that is the fact that God did something to remedy the spiritual condition that we are all in. We're all born, we're conceived dead in sin. And God did something amazing to remedy that. He became a baby, a little tiny baby growing in the womb of a little pimple-faced teenage girl 2,000 years ago. And he grew and got big and swam around in amniotic fluid. And he came to the birth canal and he nursed at his mother's breast and he dirtied his diapers. And he grew up and became a pimple-faced teenage boy himself. And then he became a man. And he went to the cross to die in our place And he died, and God raised him from the dead to bring us to him. That's amazing. And that brings me joy. We're in Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21. It's our last series in our Christmas series called The Christmas Drama. Lord willing, we'll be back in Philippians 2 next week. But open your Bibles to Luke 2, and let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you so much for doing Something so amazing that you sent your son into this world, Jesus Christ, and that he became a man. God, he did do all of those things that I just described. And he lived a perfect life and never sinned one time. And you poured out your wrath upon him to bring us to you. And that is so amazing. I pray for those who don't understand that truth this morning, that you would draw them by your spirit and open their eyes. For those that do know this, that are your children, that the gospel would become fresh to them this morning. That it wouldn't be old hat, but they would hear it again and respond with joy. Help me to preach and teach, Father, so that you get glory and your people get joy. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to expose and ruin some of your Christmas traditions and songs today. I'm going to call all of us out. Actually, I'm going to let the scriptures do it so it's not me. But I'm going to expose us for who we are today. A bunch of dirty, despicable, discombobulated sinners. Is that okay if I do that this morning? Is that okay? That I'm praying that if God's spirit shows up through the preaching and teaching of his word, then we will still all leave here today full of joy but we're going to correct ourselves a little bit today. It might sting a little bit, but I promise you we can leave full of joy today if we understand the truth out of God's word. So, Merry Christmas. Our big idea today is this. Jesus comes to us in the midst of our dirty, despicable, and discombobulated lives. We're going to see that. There's a dirty birth scene that we're going to look at today. There's some despicable shepherds, and Mary and a few others are discombobulated and trying to figure out exactly what it means that the God of the universe would come to this World, And then we're going to realize in the process that we're dirty, despicable, discombobulated sinners too. Aren't we saved by God's grace? Look at verses 1 through 7. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Okay, let's get our bearings here again. If you've been with us in the exposition of the first chapter of Luke, you know where we're at. But if you're visiting or you're new to the Christmas story, uh, we saw earlier in Luke chapter 1 a few weeks ago that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, a godly teenage girl who was uh, betrothed to Joseph. It was kind of in between engagement and marriage. It was pretty serious. It wouldn't be broken off except for adultery. She was a virgin hadn't been intimate with Joseph, and yet the Ga- Gabriel the angel appeared and said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you are going to become pregnant with the Savior, the Messiah, and you will call his name Jesus. Now in chapter 2, we fast forward to the end of Mary's pregnancy. She's at nine months. She's at that stage where she's miserable. She can't get comfortable at night when she sleeps. She misses sleeping on her stomach. She's forgotten what that's like. Her innards are all pushed up inside of her, and this little baby boy inside of her is kicking and squirming around like crazy. She is ready to have this baby. And while the king of the universe... Jesus Christ is kicking and squirming inside of Mary. Caesar Augustus issues a decree throughout the land that everyone must return to their hometown to register. This was big government. They wanted to know everything about you. Go back to your hometown, tell us where you live now, how much you make, where you live, how many kids. They wanted to know everything. And Joseph and Mary are two godly people who submit to the authority of the land. And they leave Podunk Nazareth, which was in the backwoods of Israel, and they go down to the city of David, which is Bethlehem. It's where Joseph was from. Here's what's interesting. Bethlehem means house of bread. And yet we see in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of heaven. The bread of heaven was born in the house of bread. And so they travel 65 miles or so from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Remember, Mary is nine months pregnant as she's making this journey. Traditionally, we have seen her riding on a donkey. I doubt that would be true because my wife is due in three weeks with our fifth child and I could not pay her to get on a donkey right now. I know we like to think of Mary on a donkey. I think maybe she was in some sort of cart that was pulled by a donkey or maybe she walked. But if you want to see her on a donkey, that's okay. However you see her, you must understand that that she was miserable at this point. Amen, ladies? She's ready to have this baby. So whatever you decide about the whole donkey thing, understand this. Luke doesn't want you to miss this. Joseph was of the lineage of David. He has royal roots. He has royal blood flowing through him. And he's returning to the royal city of David, which is Bethlehem. Now, why is that significant? Because the Messiah was supposed to come from the line of David. We know in the Old Testament, he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And it's all lining up how God had decreed in eternity past and then spoken through his prophets. 
And so we have Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, who's about to be born, traveling to Bethlehem. And we have Caesar, the powerful ruler of the land, who has issued this decree for all to return to their hometown and register. And so Joseph and Mary go, and they make many stops along the way so that she can use the restroom. Meanwhile, Jesus Christ, the real ruler, the king of kings, the god of the universe, is inside the womb of a pimple-faced teenage girl while Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the land, sends out his decree. Caesar thinks he is in control, but the real ruler is in the womb of Mary, all squished up on his way to Bethlehem. Understand this, God uses political leaders as his lackeys to forward his plan and purposes in this world. The leaders of this world right now are servants of the Most High God. They're making their decisions and doing their thing, but you know who's really in control? Our God. Caesar thought he was ruling the world, but he was only in the service of God. God, who happened to be surrounded by amniotic fluid at the moment inside the womb of Mary. And yet, in humility, God... Jesus, his son, takes on humanity in order for his eternal purpose to come to fruition, which is to save sinners from every nation and reconcile them to God for his glory. You see, the Christmas drama is this. Jesus comes to us in the midst of our dirty, despicable, and discombobulated lives, and he comes to bring us to God. So sometime as Joseph is filling out the paperwork for Caesar, he's standing in line at the registration station or whatever they're at, Mary starts having contractions. How exciting. They're they're timing and they're they're counting them apart. You know, there's so many minutes apart. But we don't get any of the details here. All Luke says is that while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth in verse 6. And Mary gives birth to baby Jesus. Again, we don't get any details here. Luke doesn't tell us if her water broke or when it broke, if Joseph passed out as she was having the baby, which is what I think I'm going to do in a few weeks. You can pray for me. He doesn't tell us how much Jesus weighed or how long he was. He keeps it short and sweet. But he wants you to notice two things about the baby boy in verse 7. It says, She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 7 highlights the humility and the humanity of Jesus. Let's talk first about the humanity of Jesus. He was a human being. He was 100% God, 100% man. And those two natures, God and man, were united together in this one person, Jesus Christ. This little baby, all covered in afterbirth, was the God-man. And Luke is telling us that he is fully human. How so? Because he says that Mary had to wrap him in swaddling cloths. This means that she wrapped him up tight for several reasons. One, because babies like to be wrapped tight. Right, moms? They like to be wrapped tight. It provides them comfort. And and Mary didn't want baby Jesus scratching his face with his fingernails. So she's got him wrapped up tight. It's providing comfort. Secondly, she wrapped him up because he was cold. It was cold. 
There was no warm hospital with the perfect temperature in it. The baby was cold. And I wish somebody had told the writers to the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? I wish they would have let them in on that. What do the lyrics say? A child, a child, shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. He needed a blanket, songwriters. He didn't need a bunch of money. Terrible lyrics. Don't get me wrong. I love the song. I do. Just terrible lyrics. Lyrics. Give the baby a blanket for crying out loud because he's cold. Otherwise, you have a rich baby with pneumonia. Luke is telling us this because he wants us to know that Jesus was fully human. And we shouldn't be surprised about these lyrics because according to the great source of authority on the internet, Wikipedia says that this song was written as a plea to end the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I'm not going to throw them too much under the bus because I don't think it was intended as a worship song. But let me rant about another Christmas song which I think undermines the full humanity of Jesus Away in a manger. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I love the song. I told you I was going to destroy some of our songs and traditions today. I love the song. But the lyrics say, contrary to scripture, no crying he makes. He was a human. He came out of the birth canal crying. He needed to nurse. He needed to have his diaper changed. He got fussy because he was a human being just like us. Luke is showing us Jesus' humanity. He's going to show us Jesus' divinity, that he was God in verse 11. But here he's emphasizing the fact that Jesus was a human being and he was like every single human baby born into this world, the only exception being that Jesus was without sin at his birth. Luke's also stressing the humility of Jesus. Mary's... He says that Mary laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Here we have the God of the universe who left the glories of heaven coming to earth and he has to sleep in a feeding trough surrounded by animals. What humility. Three times in this chapter, Luke will tell us that they laid Jesus down in a manger. He's trying to get a point across. He's stressing the humility that surrounded Jesus' birth. The humility was probably a feeding trough for donkeys or horses. There's no fancy crib here from Target, okay? There's no cool walkie-talkie baby monitors. They didn't have them. There's no uh, CD with Kenny G playing nursery rhymes on it. You got none of that here. Jesus takes a nap in a nasty feeding trough for donkeys and horses, and he's surrounded by the noises and the smells of these animals that he created. What humility. Mothers, put yourself in Mary's shoes here. This is no sanitized hospital. No glass crib on wheels that Jesus stays in for a few days until he leaves the hospital. Just some sheep and some donkeys and run-of-the-mill farm animals very close to your newborn baby. It's a, a dirty scene. Jesus comes to us. When things are dirty. And it wasn't because Mary was a first time teenage mom. It wasn't as if she didn't know better. It was all part of God's sovereign plan to highlight the humility of his son Jesus as he stepped into this messy, dirty, stinky, sin filled world. 
Do you see it? Do you see the the beauty of the passage? God comes down to messy, dirty, despicable sinners. That's grace. Jesus humbly takes on human flesh and gets to take a nap in the feeding trough of animals. How many of you would lay your newborn child in your dog's food bowl? See, the settings are not ideal here. It's dirty, and Jesus comes. Quick word to straighten out our theology about the inn. I think our tradition has proposed that there was this innkeeper who, was, who like switched to decaf earlier in the day, and, and Mary and Joseph show up, and he's like, get out of here, you kids, I don't have any room. We kind of have that image of this innkeeper who's running them off. Scholars say that Bethlehem wasn't big enough to have some sort of inn. So don't think Motel 6, Radisson Hotel, or something like that. The Greek word that uh, Luke uses here for the inn, he, he uses in chapter 22, verse 11, for the upper room where Jesus ate the Last Supper with his disciples. <clears throat> so the inn that Luke speaks of would have been equivalent to maybe a guest room, a guest bedroom. I mean, and since Jewish culture was very hospitable, there's no way somebody would have driven away a a pregnant lady who's having contractions and saying, I'm about to have my baby. There's no way someone in that culture is going to say, ah, we don't have any room for you, take off. I mean, they would have found a closet or something for her. But they probably showed up at some relative's house since this was Joseph's hometown. He probably stayed with some cousins, aunts and uncles. We don't know. And he got there, and one of his cousins had dibs on the upper room, on the extra room. So... There's no room for them. So Joseph and Mary more likely slept in the living room or maybe the adjacent room that would have been attached to the house where they kept the animals at night because it was cold. And that's where baby Jesus took his naps, surrounded by loud, smelly animals who had the freedom to go to the bathroom wherever they wished, a dirty, stinky, messy birth room. It all stresses his humility and his condescension to us, fallen, sinful humanity. You see, Jesus comes to us in the midst of our dirty, despicable, and discombobulated lives. We see it in verses 8 through 14 as well. Look there. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So after the events of Jesus' birth, our scene switches to the open field somewhere in Israel. Who does the angel appear to? He appears to shepherds. You would have said it like this back then. You would have been like, shepherds? The angel appeared to shepherds. Scholars suggest that shepherds were at the bottom of the social ladder. They were despised. They were despicable. The shepherds and an angel from the glories of heaven comes down and appears to shepherds. I think the shepherds represent humanity, that that we're lowly. There's nothing terribly exciting about us, is there? 
Did you know that there's really nothing terribly exciting about you? Sorry to burst your bubble this morning. But they're dirty. Imagine how they smelled. They hung out with sheep all day. They're filthy. They're covered in dirt and sheep wool and sheep feces. And it's, it's a noisy environment that they're in and it stinks. And these shepherds are watching over their flocks in this environment. And suddenly an angel appears. And they're scared to death, which is what happens to every human being that sees an angel in the Bible. And they're discombobulated. They're trying to figure all of this out. What in the world is this being that we're seeing? They're discombobulated, trying to put it all together. And then the angel says, don't fear. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. They don't even know what the good, he's just telling them the good news. They don't know the story yet. They're about to find out about Jesus' birth and see it in person. And in a moment, they'll rush off there and see it firsthand. But the angel says, I got to tell you the good news. Then you'll get to see it. The good news is that Jesus is God. Luke is stressing his divinity here. He's Savior. Jesus, whose name means Yahweh, is salvation. The Lord is salvation, came to save sinners. That's good news for all people. He's also Christ. He's the anointed one, the Messiah, who's set apart by God, prophesied about in the Old Testament by the prophets, and he's Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. He's the Lord that we read about, the God of Israel in the Old Testament. Up to this point, this is the 20th time that Luke has mentioned the Lord. He's trying to get a point across here. Jesus is God. In the human flesh. Jesus has come on a mission to save sinners from every nation, to bring them to God for God's glory. You see, Jesus comes to us in the midst of our dirty, despicable, and discombobulated lives. And we see that here with the shepherds. The shepherds then hightail it to Bethlehem and they see a sign. The angel says, You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But before they take off, suddenly there appeared a multitude of angels praising God. They declared glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Sometimes we've heard the phrase translated this way, peace on earth and goodwill to men. We hear it in our song, I heard the bells on Christmas day. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Unfortunately, our world has taken that phrase and abused it so that we think Christmas is about buying presents and sharing things and in general practicing goodwill and getting the warm fuzzies because you helped someone. That's not what the verse is saying. I think the ESV translation captures it correctly. On earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. It means God's good pleasure with mankind, God's pleasure with men, peace with whom God is pleased. But who can get into God's good graces? How can a sinful man ever be made right with an infinitely glorious and holy God? Only through the baby taking a nap in that nasty trough. Only through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He dies in our place. He lived the life that we could never live because we're marred and broken by sin. He died the death that we all deserve to die. And he gives us his righteousness and takes our sin. The reformers called it the great exchange. The great exchange takes place. And this can become a reality here for any of you that hear my voice this morning. 
if you repent, you confess and you fess up that, yes, God, I am sinful. I've turned away from you. Will you forgive me? I want to live for you. I believe and I trust in Jesus Christ. It can happen for you. You can be adopted into God's family right now. That's why the angels are singing glory to God. Because God did something to remedy our messed up condition because of sin. The angels are singing about the infinitely glorious God who stepped into this sinful world to save sinners from every nation for his glory. That's why the angels are singing. Notice that one angel appeared to the shepherd. One angel was sufficient to announce the good news. One angel, it was enough to say, good news for all people. But it took all of heaven to declare glory to God in the highest. Every single angel, angel showed up. No one was on vacation. No one was taking a bathroom break. Every angel showed up and said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those fallen sinful human beings that God is pleased with. It only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're singing this wonderful song. Glory to God. And peace can come to stinky, dirty, fallen mankind. I like what J.C. Ryle says about the angels singing. He says, let us strive to be more like-minded with the angels. Our spiritual ignorance and deadness appear most painfully in our inability to enter into the joy which we see them here expressing. Surely, if we hope to dwell with them forever in heaven, we ought to share something of their feelings while we are here upon the earth. Let us seek a more deep sense of the sinfulness and misery of sin, and then we shall have a more deep sense of thankfulness for redemption. Such was the meaning of the angel's song. Happy are they that can enter into its meaning and with their hearts subscribe to its contents. The man who hopes to dwell in heaven should have some experimental acquaintance with the language of its inhabitants. I think he's right. If you've believed in the gospel message that Jesus came to you in the midst of your dirt and filth and grime of sin and has made you right with God, ought you not to be able to sing with joy the song that the angels sing? Shouldn't you be acquainted with these lyrics? Glory to God on high and peace to me. Because God is pleased with me because he's pleased with his son. Shouldn't we be acquainted with those feelings and those affections if we're going to spend eternity with these very angels singing this song? We can have those feelings and that joy unleashed if we truly understand that Jesus comes to us in the midst of our dirty, despicable, and discombobulated lives. Look at verses 15 to 21. We're going to see how discombobulated Mary and a few others are. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The shepherds, as Luke says, with great haste took off. Who cares about the sheeps? Sheep plural who cares about the sheep we're dropping our staffs this is what is most important in life is seeing the savior born so i picture them going house to house and saying excuse me this is going to sound a little weird but is there a baby here taking a nap in a nasty feeding trough and i kind of picture some people saying uh no that's a little weird move along finally they show up is there a baby here who's wrapped in swaddling cloths and he's lying in this nasty feeding trough that donkeys and horses and sheep use. And they said, yes, he's here, he's in this house. And they come in and they're so excited and they show up uninvited. Ladies, imagine having these people show up after you've had the baby. You're not ready to entertain, are you? I'm sure Mary did not have a cheese platter ready for these guys. They show up unannounced and she has to entertain these smelly shepherds and i know she's thinking i need some febreze right now to clear the the air here but it's messy uh, messy and smelly don't miss luke's point it is messy and smelly with these animals and with these stinky shepherds but when god is there it's grace and they found jesus lying in a manger and luke's the third time he's telling us this And this good news of great joy gets down into the hearts of the shepherds because they start telling everyone about it. And they pull out their iPhone and they're they're tweeting about it on Twitter and they're putting it on Facebook and they're poking people and sending Farmville requests and all the things that you do on Facebook. They want people to know about the baby that has been born, that he is Christ the Lord. And then everyone's marveling at what the shepherds are saying. How can this be? These are redneck, dirty, smelly, in desperate need of a shower shepherds. They're the ones telling the good news of great joy for all people. So the people are wondering, they're discombobulated. What does it mean that that they're saying it? And if we can get over the hurdle that shepherds are telling this, what does it mean that God has come in the flesh? What is this good news? They can't figure it out. Holy God comes down in human form to save messy, dirty, sin-stained sinners. And they're discombobulated. It seems too good to be true. But that is the gospel. It's good news that Jesus comes to us. He comes to take off the dirty rags of sin that we wear and to give us his clean, white, pure robe of righteousness. Why does he do that? Because we think with our good works, we're made right with God. We think it's our righteousness. But what did Isaiah say in Isaiah 64, I believe? He said, our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. Excuse me for getting gross this morning, but that Hebrew word is the Hebrew word menstrual cloths, a bloody menstrual cloth that you discard. Isaiah says when we try to do good things to be made right with God, that's what it's like. 
See, we're sinners who need this foreign, alien righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to be given to us. And then we stand clean and pure. And so this message sinks into Mary. It says that she treasured these things up in her heart. She's discombobulated too, but she's treasuring these things. She's trying to figure it out. Remember, she's just a teenage girl. And Luke says that she is pondering this Greek word, which means to throw together side by side. She's stacking up the evidence side by side and trying to figure it all out. I don't quite understand that God would come in human form. He's the Messiah and he's born to me, a virgin. She's trying to piece it all together and she's discombobulated by it. But she's trying to absorb all of the overwhelming facts of the gospel because she's treasuring them up in her heart. This means her feelings and her affections are involved. She doesn't quite understand it all, but her joy is being unleashed. And this is how the gospel becomes good news of great joy. You let it get into your affections like Mary. You let it get into your affections like the shepherds. And you start telling everyone about it. Luke says in verse 20 that the shepherds left glorifying and praising God. Why did they do that? Because they saw it was true. Jesus comes to us in the midst of our dirty, despicable, and discombobulated lives. That's what the angels would say to you today. That's what the shepherds would say to you today. That's what Mary and Joseph would say to you today. And I think that's what we see in our passage. Jesus came to save us. But to save us from what? the coming wrath of God. I know we don't like to think about it or talk about it, but it's true. We all deserve to die and be punished forever for our sin because we have despised the Lord and turned away from him. We all live a messy, stinky, dirty, sin-soaked life. We're all discombobulated trying to figure out how God could love us, how he could come to us as we are, and how he could save us. How is it possible that a holy God would come and do something to fix us, to bring us in. How is that possible? Because all of humanity is a septic tank of raw sewage called sin. We were all born this way, conceived this way, because our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. It affected every single one of us here. Every one of us, even your little beautiful girl that you put her beautiful bow in her hair and dress her in her beautiful Christmas dress today. She, too is under the wrath of God unless she repents and cries out for Jesus. See, we all are a septic tank of raw sewage called sin. We have dirty thoughts and dirty words and dirty motives and dirty actions and despicable thoughts and despicable words and despicable motives and despicable actions and we're all totally discombobulated, confused, Maybe this Christmas you've experienced some Christmas drama already. Maybe even today as you try to get your kids ready to uh, open presents and get dressed and make it here. Maybe not because you chose the 1030 service and you had enough time to do that. But things aren't always perfect in this world, are they? We burn turkeys. We forget to thaw turkeys. Kids get greedy around Christmas time and say, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And it gets on our nerves. But we adults do it too, don't we? Our relatives come over that we don't care much about and they stay too long and we don't know how to politely ask them to leave. It's just drama, drama, drama every day of our life. 
And yet Jesus still comes to us, doesn't he? He is born into a world full of sin, and yet he never sinned once. And he died in our place, even though it should have been us. That is amazing. The gospel discombobulates me. I don't understand it. It seems too good to be true, but it is true. I don't believe it, but I believe it. And it's for you today as well. You, dirty, despicable, discombobulated you. Jesus came for you. So don't try to get cleaned up to come to him. He likes it when filthy sinners turn to him and ask for forgiveness and trust in his death and resurrection because that's why he came to this world. And he gets glory big time when dirty, rotten, sinful people come to him and say, I can't save myself. I need you. Would you forgive me? He gets glory big time. If you're here today and you've never turned from your sins, repented and trusted in Christ, now is the time. Right now, this second, you can do that. And you'll be saved from the coming wrath of God and spared from eternity in hell. You will enter into eternity, which will be ever-increasing joy every single day. Will you believe? For those of you who are Christians, Jesus still comes to you every day in the midst of your dirty, despicable, discombobulated world. All you have to do is ask, and he's there. Listen, I know our homes aren't perfect right now. I know many of you left, and your homes are a mess. You've got Christmas wrappers everywhere, and you've got people coming over. You know what? If you're a Christian, you've been made right with God. He's pleased with you because of his son. You don't have to please others today. You can burn your turkey, and it's okay, because the biggest problem of your life has been taken care of. Maybe you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas, kids. But if you trust in Jesus, you've got it all. See, Jesus comes to us, even Christians who are still under the effects of a sinful world, who still sin, even though he's so good to us. We still do stupid, dirty, despicable things. We get discombobulated in this world, and he still comes to us in grace. All we have to do is ask him. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son to come and save us. Lord, we are a mess. And only your son, Jesus, is perfect. What freedom that gives us. We don't have to please people because your son has made us right with you. So the burden is lifted, God. We can freely admit our sin. We are exposed at the cross so many years ago. And we can freely admit that, that we're a wreck because we look to your son who was perfect and we thank you for his perfect righteousness. May we leave here today delighting in the gospel like the angels, like the shepherds, and like Mary. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.